Hello, everybody, and welcome to Dev Random. With me today is Sound Chaser. Good evening, everybody. Azimuth. Good evening. At Yar, but I'll call him E. Yellow. And one of my other favorite Aussies, Crayon. Green. I don't even know what to say to that. <laughs> I said yellow. I said no. <laughs> oh, okay. Nice. I didn't get it either. <laughs> I was really kind of confused there. Well, the, the the obvious response would have been red. Yeah, true. Sorry, my bad. I choked under pressure. No, no, not you. Pegwall. Pegwall should have said red. And I also should have said, "Hi, I'm Pegwall." Wait, why? Why red? Like green and yellow, I get. But why? Why red? Stoplights. Red, yellow, because, green. Oh, duh. Because Red Rover, Red Rover, I dare you come over and go through immigration. In Australia, <laughs> in Australia, all our lights are white. Our traffic lights are white. Just three white lights. <laughs> I have no idea why that's funny. Because, <laughs> you know, any time you say anything against Australia, they laugh. It's, it's, it's easy. Oh, okay. We're, just, we're going for the low-hanging fruit in these uh, off shows. <laughs> yeah, yep. Well, we're going for the low-hanging fruit in all the shows. <laughs> That's a very fair point. <laughs> well, we're off to a great start. Well, we're just, we're just going to go back and put all the stuff we said earlier after the intro, right? <laughs> well, maybe we'll put it at the end. Yeah, we'll, you, mean we'll the stuff like we haven't, you mean the stuff we haven't said yet, right? Exactly. Of course. Here's what we'll do. We'll record the entire episode. Then I'll reverse it so everything is spoken backwards. Then upload it to HPR and just call it Dev Random, the Aussie version. Yeah, well, just, you're going to play it backwards, is that correct? You know, yeah. is it, it's going to say Paul is dead or what here? <laughs> it's <laughs> Paul, called, uh, you can call it Cat Dev Random Pipe Rev. I mean, if you really want to put a subliminal message in it, I'll tack one on somewhere. This is all pretty subliminal anyway. <laughs> well, subconscious, maybe. But how about subliminal? Unconscious, maybe? Yeah. So, well, yes, sir. What's our first story for the night? <laughs> I'm glad you asked, Sound Chaser. How do you feel about the year, I think, uh, 2007? Well, it was about five years ago, so it, it's a uh, ways back. Why? What, what's important about 2007? I think it was 07, or might have been 05, something like that. The last release of Windowmaker before this previous one. Yes, Windowmaker has finally updated in the year 2012, which means we're all going to die at the end of this year. Wow. So what's new in Windowmaker now? Can I just say how happy I am? Because, I, I mean, first we get Ed, an Ed update, just recently, and now Windowmaker. This is, you know, it's a dream come true. <laughs> it's definitely a sign of the apocalypse, isn't it? This truly is the year of a Linux desktop. Now we need a, a new version of Yes or something, you know. Actually, there's a new version of Awk. Well, that's sort of, that's reasonable. It, it does some pretty pretty advanced things. I reckon a new version of Yes, now with more Ys. <laughs> A new version of Cat, now with a more efficient file-reading algorithm? No, that's half reasonable. <laughs> Is it, though, really? I mean, how, how fast can you print to a terminal? Well, so let, let me ask this. I, I was kind of... Um, it's kind of an interesting tie into this story, because <clears throat> recently I've been thinking about um, going ahead and actually trying to work with 
FVWM, which, believe it or not, is actually still under active development. But the reason I was thinking about using it, or at least playing with it, is when I've been looking over some of the documentation on it, it actually exposes a number of the X server, um, not necessarily the APIs, but the internals of the X server to the window manager, which is much closer tied to the X server as opposed to newer window managers like Openbox and, and all these newer ones, which actually kind of basically gloss over the X server and actually provide a different interface to the window manager. Has anybody else ever thought about digging into some of these older like window managers or other tools to actually look at some of the uh, what they expose and actually try to understand the system a little bit more? Actually, a friend of mine at work, she actually runs um, FVWM as her window manager. Really? She likes it that much? Yeah, she says she likes the fact that... I mean, I've heard it described as, you know, to configure it, you basically have to write code or script, at least, you know. But that's, um, you know, that seems interesting enough. I mean, I personally um, have modified... I use Fluxbox, and I've modified the source code of Fluxbox where necessary to do what I want it to do, but... See, what I figured out looking... I was just going to say, yeah, Fluxbox does do pretty much everything I want it to do. There's, I've never found anything lacking from it. So, Yeah, and I've noticed that. I mean, you know, the newer window managers t- tend to actually do everything that you want, want them to do. But what I'd noticed when I was looking at, like, FVWM is that, um, I don't know if you've ever looked at, like, the X Resources database stuff. There's a lot of things you can actually set in the X Resources database. Well, FVWM actually kind of builds that into its configuration. So you can actually basically, like, assign things to Windows to actually, like, theme them and that straight in the FVWM configuration, which you really can't do in a lot of these other... um, a lot of these newer window managers because they're all unified and using like a, an XML configuration or something and they only expose a certain amount of the X server stuff to allow you to configure them. I myself, I'm a GNOME 3 man. <clears throat> I'm sorry. Hey, I find it really easy to see, so I enjoy it. I've, I've been spending about a week with GNOME 3 and I can't say that I like it at all. And um, just too many things about it that just don't work well for me. This is going to be very embarrassing, but I still haven't worked out how to shut down Fedora without using the terminal. <laughs> you, you hold the alt key, dude. I know a bunch of people said that, like like Fabs on on Linux Outlaws raving about how wonderful GNOME three and Fedora is, and how it's stupid that you have to press Alt to shut it down. I don't know. I'm pressing Alt and I'm opening menus and. I don't see anything, so I'm just like, okay, terminal, shutdown, dash H, now. The way I, you know, I'm running Sabion here, and the way I found to shut it down was actually exit uh, GNOME 3, and then from the login screen, there's actually a power off, so I can actually shut it all the way down then. Oh, that's <clears> even <throat> worse. <laughs> all I you think have to idea, do. I think the idea is that uh, it's that good, you shouldn't want to shut it down. <laughs> All you have to do is click on your name in the uh, upper right-hand corner. When the little drop-down menu comes down there, you'll see an option that says to log out and suspend and all that. If you hit the Alt key, the suspend will turn into power off. So, so what what percentage of Fedora's user base think that's stupid? I don't really mind it. Well, I, I, honestly, I found that stupid and non-intuitive. That's probably my biggest problem with, with GNOME 3, is how many things are not 
easily discoverable in it. It's it's like they 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 tried to make it like more efficient, but in doing so, they hid things that you can't find unless you already know how to find them. But that's actually the history of of the Gnome Project. They've been doing that all through the two the two series, and now they're doing it still more in the three series. But I I actually knew how to use two. Yeah, we, I know. we'd the... already gone through the find the hidden feature phase, and now we have to go back through it all over again. Yep. But that's part of the me, fun. It makes me sad, Peggy. Clearly you were doing it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. It doesn't make me sad. It irritates me, what it does. But I'm, I'm happy because basically, as of tonight, this is the end of my one-week experiment with Gnome 3. In Sabayon. Sabayon. And tomorrow I will load the KDE version of Sabayon on my laptop. See how that fares. <laughs> Oh, dear God, why? <clears throat> Primarily because I haven't really played with GNOME and KDE for over a year at this point. You know, some basically probably several years. Um, so I decided what I would do is I would go ahead and spend one week with GNOME, one week with KDE, and then progress one week with, at least one week with XFCE, and then decide where I wanted to end up. And arrive at Fluxbox. Probably back to awesome. That's That's where I've been for a while now. Or maybe FVWM. I don't know that I've ever used Awesome. You guys are always raving about it. I should give it a try. Is is it one of those, like, configurable desktops, though? Because that kind of stuff drives me crazy. I don't, I don't want to write graphic <laughs> for my desktop. It just... Uh. Well, no, it's, it's... Awesome is really a, a pretty much a raw window manager, but it tiles all your windows on the screen pretty much automatically. So you can actually navigate your windows from the keyboard... You can actually move them around on that basically all from the keyboard and just have the like ones that you really need to have a maximum size. So it's a completely different way of working with, with, a, uh, with a, a desktop and with your applications. But I, I find that it actually works really nicely. Uh, that's why I haven't used it before. It's a tiling window manager. Yep. I have I a 12.5-inch laptop screen. Okay. Um, you could actually use it. There's a mode where um, you can have one application opened like to a certain percentage of the screen, like maybe 50% or 75% of your screen on top, and tile any other applications in the background. When you rotate through them, it'll pop up one on top. It'll have like 75% of the screen, so you can actually focus on like one app at a time. Couldn't I just use a regular desktop with Alt-Tab? Yeah, sure. I mean, you know, you can use whatever you want to. I'm just saying there is ways to actually make it work with a smaller screen like a laptop. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm just being a bastard. That's okay. I respond to bastards. I speak bastard. <laughs> Thank you, Zendi. I am a bastard-coated bastard with bastard filling. Tasty. So anyway, Window Manager, new release. Window Maker. <laughs> oh, yeah, Window Maker. You got me off track. <clears throat> all right, all right. How, how about a new piece of news? Developer values Debian at twelve point one billion pounds. <laughs> Say what? No, this is gold. There's like whole serious analysis and everything. Um, an analysis by Debian and CPAN developer James Bromberger, I'm guessing, concludes that it would cost about nineteen point one billion US dollars or twelve point one billion. Uh, British pounds to develop the software currently including, included in Debian Wheezy 7.0 from scratch. 
That would make actually make sense to me. I mean, Debian's got one of the most extensive databases of packages out there. So if you actually tried to develop all that code, I mean, you're, you're talking even developing like Emacs and Vim and all the basically all the major window managers, the desktops, as well as the kernel and all the supporting drivers for the kernel and everything else. That's a huge, huge base of code. He derived the value from... He assumed that all the code under Debian was of a standard complexity, which is probably not true. But uh, he assumed an an annual salary of 72.5 grand and then went by the 420 million lines of code that are in Debian right now. And that's how he got the figure. And it looks like if if you considered the kernel complex instead of standard level of complexity, uh, <laughs> the cost of writing the kernel alone would be $1.8 billion. Good lord. There, there have been other code analysis like that, you know, just of the kernel itself and, and certain applications like Emacs and, and other yeah. programs. There, and... there was... Oh, oh, sorry. I thought you were asking. Yeah, no, go well, ahead. no, no, no. I'm saying there have been, and I, I know that some of those things have been in the tens of millions to hundreds of millions of dollars, given the complexity of the code and given the number of people working on them and, and average salary rates and all that stuff. So this doesn't doesn't really surprise me that much. Well, this this article from H Online um, references another analysis done last year that concluded the kernel is worth more than three billion dollars. Yeah, that actually sounds about right. Wow, that's crazy. They have, they have a cute little chart here. It's a bar graph of all the different languages used in Debian. And the the most used language is... Um, it's ANSI C, but they didn't put a space in it. And I'm going, what the heck is ASNIC? <laughs> and, it's, and it's got, you know, more than twice the lines of code that C++ has. And I'm like, how have I never heard of this language? <laughs> and when did you become dyslexic, Etier? Oh no, the dude who made the graphic was dyslexic. Did he put ASNIC instead of ANCC? Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, it's ANSIC. Okay, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're the one who said it, man. And by the way, payback. <laughs> yeah, okay. We're even. <laughs> so speaking of even... VLC has re- has a new release, and it's a nice round even number. VLC 2.0 is out. Oh, smooth, smooth, smooth. Let's go download that stuff. Wow, this is hot. <laughs> VLC 2.0 is called Two Flower. That's I guess that's its working code name or release name, whatever. Are they named after Terry Pratchett characters or something? That I do not know. It's a guess, because isn't Two Flower a Terry Pratchett character? They've added faster decoding on multiple core GPUs, uh, new codecs for more HD stuff, and experimental Blu-ray support, which that, I think, is awesome. That sounds nice. Also, so not just the M2TS, whatever the heck they are, the, like, actual, like, the menus and stuff as well? No clue. Because I... Well, I came across a rip of a Blu-ray a little while ago, and it and it plays the video files, but it doesn't do like the menus and stuff. I guess that's I guess they've added support for that. That's awesome. Does uh, do any Linux users use VLC? I do. 
What I've... what what kind of question is that? What else do you use? The M player. Oh really? Yeah, no, I've always used it. VLC is like the second thing I install. Or the what streamer core if you're using like GNOME stuff. Or lots of other things. I just use the command line M player. In case anybody's wondering, the first thing I install is Vim and stupid distros that don't include it. At least yeah, it's not was... Emacs. Hey now. Oh, I thought I was going to cop some abuse for that. You hey now yourself. Hey, Emacs is, is is cool, man. Only cool people use Emacs. Oh no, we're devolving. We're devolving. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a second, did we ever actually crawl up? Well, I guess we did for a few minutes there. We were kind of inching out of the primordial soup, and then me and Soundy kind of dragged, just kicking and screaming back in. Yeah, we were, we worked on that one pretty hard there. So drag it in. Well, rats, I, I'm just looking here, and uh, Sabion doesn't even have the VLC 2.0 release in their uh, in their uh, testing repository yet. So why see, do people see. prefer it over Mplayer? <clears throat> Probably because it has a, a nice graphical front end, and it's just standard to a lot of people. It's because we're girls. <laughs> Well, I was actually going to say, I think, um, you know, that's one of the things that draws me towards Mplayer is the nice lack of a GUI and everything. Nice well, lack of a... What? Well, uh, uh, there are GUI front ends to Mplayer and that, that that do exist out there, but you don't, you're not required to use them, use Mplayer. That's what's kind of nice about it is that you've got the flexibility to go to work either from a command line or from the GUI. I VLC think has a pretty exp- uh, 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 has a pretty uh, expensive one itself, doesn't it? Yeah, and I know it's got a good command line, but I don't know if it actually will work when you don't have the X server running, which M player will. M player can actually use um, what is it AA called? called? AA lib yeah. or Kaka. Yeah. Oh, sure, okay. C A C A Kaka. That's the colored one. Of course it is. Why wouldn't you call your software Kaka? <laughs> So there's this video, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I set you up for that. <laughs> that was technically my joke. <laughs> yeah, and Peggy just stole it right out from under you. No, no, yeah, no, 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 no. <laughs> oh, jinx. <laughs> dot, dot, dot. Uh, uh, <laughs> what? What? <laughs> Worse than a Cylon. <laughs> uh, I was. Uh, I just figured someone would interrupt me as soon as I tried to talk, so I thought I'd react as if they were anyway. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's very good. So, who here liked the movie Avatar? Yes, I bloody liked Avatar. Okay. All right, I'm going to admit something here that that may horrify a lot of people. I have still not seen Avatar. Oh, dude. I don't know, something about little blue people that just keeps reminding me of the Smurfs. <laughs> They're just they, giant they, Smurfs, yeah. They are quite substantially different oh, in almost they, every way are. from Smurfs. <laughs> I know they are, but I just had to toss that out there to see if I got any reaction. Oh, I see how it is. Okay. It's on now. So well, how okay, would you... Blue... Go on. Oh, I was going to say, okay, so they're blue elves instead of green elves. And they look like Smurfs. If a Smurf was an elf. They look nothing like Smurfs. He's going to say Pocahontas in a minute. 
I hate that. Any anytime somebody compares Avatar to Pocahontas, I I just want to stab them repeatedly. <laughs> no, it was more like Fern Gully, but anyway. <laughs> oh, oh god. Oh god. Uh, so how would you like to live Avatar? Um do do I get one of those little tail things? I can just wander around attaching them to the nearest woman. If I say yes, can I continue my new story? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think you should, yeah. Yeah, I'm going to continue before E tailmates with everybody. (laughs) I didn't know there was a word for it. What are you trying to stick into me? Don't worry, it's my tail. It's all good. It's all good. Just go back to sleep. It's all good. <laughs> I hope we're cracking the audiences up as much as we're cracking ourselves up. <laughs> so anyway. <laughs> DARPA is actually working on a project to make this kind of happen. But instead of, you know, aliens... They're going to be using, like, bipedal robots. Why wouldn't they just jump straight onto drones? Like, you can be on, a drone. On. Hang on, so the robots are mate- mating? I'm sorry, I lost the... <laughs> <laughs> the robots are tail mating? <laughs> what, what was the start of the story? I missed the start what it was. <laughs> no, see, look, we're devolving again. Cut it out, Crayon. <laughs> I honestly don't remember what where, where that all began. <laughs> Crown, let me let me let me spin it for you this way. DARPA's trying to let people mate with ro- robots without having to be in Japan. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, I'm sorry, not mate pair. Because now <laughs> it's a prerequisite to be in Japan to have any of that sort of stuff going on. <laughs> Only the Japanese have Bluetooth, right? <laughs> Is that how they use the blue tails? Bluetooth? Yeah, it's pairing. <laughs> we see that the the makers of that movie were not so clever after all. I don't know that anybody ever gave James Cameron much credit for being a clever man. I think he was just sitting around one day going, what's the opposite of tooth? Tail. Yeah, we'll make him connect with tails. Blue tail, yeah. <laughs> no, it's, it's like, usually, usually the organs in the front, let's put it in the back. Dot, dot, dot. <laughs> so, uh, Peggy, what else was there to the story? Basically, it's going to allow soldiers to kind of uh, pair with bipedal autonomous machines. That's what they said. I say robots, because, you know, controlling your own, like, Terminator cyborg would be awesome. That's, that's what I'm hoping for. So that's what I keep saying. They're not terribly autonomous if you're pairing with them, right? Well, they're they're semi-autonomous. So, so can you, you send them out? Say- can you send them out to get milk then? Or <laughs> so is this basically like the idea of um, extending the drone concept into a robotic range? Is that what you think this kind of is? I think it's more of a way to fight wars without you know losing a lot of people. Which is basically what the drone technology does. It allows them to, to run, you know, uh, reconnaissance missions and some airstrikes and that using unmanned air, aircraft. And so now it sounds like they're trying to have ground troops in robotic form that do the same thing. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Why didn't they just go straight to drones with this? 
Because obviously, DARPA wants every ground war to look like the beginning of Terminator 2. Oh, well, we certainly that is pretty cool. that against them. Yeah. yeah, that is pretty cool. As, as long as they film it, right? Well, yeah, otherwise it'd just be kind of dumb. <laughs> yeah. Really, what I'm... What I expect to happen with this is they're going to put it into use, and then you have some nerdy little dude somewhere just instantly hack all these things and just turn them into something crazy. Like, they'll be fighting a war one minute and rickrolling each other the next. Well, you know, that's what um, I always thought with the whole, you know, security, the fact that no one has security companies and whatever, you know, just on a serious note, sorry to, you know, ruin it at all, but, you know, companies um, out there don't ha- don't care about security. It's not something that's high on their priorities. And, um, it, you know, if you listen to Karen from, um, was it Karen from the Software Freedom Law Show or whatever? And she was saying about the um, heart uh, device that, that helps you... Um, Keep rhythm, you know, with your heart. Oh uh, yeah, I heard that. Heard that one. Yeah, and it's and it's a it's something that's reprogrammable. You know, a group successfully uh, did all sorts of modifications of it remotely. There was no security on the device at all. It was remotely configured, sort of. The, I guess the equivalent of the Bluetooth pairing code being zero 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 all the time or something. You know, and they they were able to get access to all the patient data, social security number, all that sort of stuff. Um, they were able to turn it on, turn it off, make it zap. You know, make it run itself down. And 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 I thought to myself, you know, this is. Uh, I would joke with people saying that I can't wait until you know we have more sort of, uh, you know, mechanical arms and all that sort of stuff attached to us because it'll be the computer nerds that then rule the world because we'll be able to control them and it, it's already happening now. So it's only a matter of time before yeah people have, you know, robotic arms that we'll all just be able to take control of. You know, just hack into them. And yeah, that's I can so see that happening when it comes comes with these fully autonomous uh, robot things. The yeah, really the, depressing. Sorry, I was gonna say it would really suck to you know finally cope with you know having an arm like that. Then one day you're laying in your bed about to go to sleep and your arm just starts punching you wildly in the face. And what it was was your neighbor just decided to mess with you one day. Yeah, I yeah can exactly. See- I can think of plenty better uses for an autonomous arm in bed. <laughs> the thing that really got me about that that uh, pacemaker story was she she ended up choosing a pacemaker that was like four generations old because it was using some magnetic interface to be yep. programmed instead of an electronic one and it had no inherent security either she just figured that there was a lot less chance that somebody could screw with you with this special magnetic interface than if somebody could pair with your prosthetic heart with bluetooth or something stupid yeah that's right you had to actually have sort of physical contact or whatever which it was funny because she yeah she was saying that when she get, went in there for a checkup you know the doctor would sort of look puzzled at the at the computer screen and, oh, I'm having trouble, you know, bringing up your details. Because, of course, again, yeah, you know, she walks into the doctor's office, he can press a key and bam, it, you know, connects, downloads all the data, you know, and uh, all that automatically because, again, you know, lack of security or very lax security. But, um, yeah, you know, she was saying that she has to tell them that she's got this old device, you know. Who seriously sits at a desk and is like, this is a great idea? wireless access to a pacemaker. Oh my god, we're going to make a billion dollars. 
Yeah, well, she was saying, you know, if you recall, she was saying too that she tried to uh, find information. She asked for the source code, you know, she was trying to get information on it and they got really, you know, defensive and, and the companies were saying that, you know, they wouldn't let her see it and they, you know, that she wasn't allowed to know even how it all worked and the technology behind it. I thought that that was kind of funny, though. <laughs> that's, that's like walking up to Microsoft and being like, I'm writing documents in Microsoft Word. I want to see the source code for this program. Uh, yeah, but, I mean, I, I personally, I think that's probably the right thing anyway in that you should be able to sort of do that, but perhaps with certain things, maybe not with Word documents. But, for example, um, the software that runs in your car, in your engine management system or something like that, or if you've got, like, intelligent braking system, I don't think it's too far to say, look, I'm using this device. I'm putting my life and others' lives in the hands of this device. I want to know what it's doing. You know, think, obviously, it's a, it's slightly different, but think forward to, you know, 100 years' time when you've got your robot, robot uh, babysitter. You want to know what code is running on that thing. You want to know what it's going to do with your children when you leave them alone with it. Is it going to, you know, swing them around and throw them out the window or whatever, you know? You want to know if your life is put into the hands of technology. You want to know what the technology is going to do. I actually, yeah, very I, fair point. I actually, I, I would say that there's more of a case for that now rather than later, because like now with cars and the um, wireless entry systems where it'll unlock your doors, there are known cases where um, people have actually intercepted the wireless between the re- the uh, sending unit and the receiver in the car and have actually captured the code that it actually sends to your car, and they've actually stolen cars that way. You know that as soon as someone invents a robot babysitter, someone out there is going to write shakebaby.c. <laughs> the first virus for the robo nanny. Well, that's that's I'm, really I'm, though. That is where it gets scary because yeah, if you you know if people are able to manipulate these things and if they're you know that is I definitely I think is a real ad- advocate to uh, open source and you can see governments um you know wanting uh you know look at some of the some of the European governments changing to to Linux or whatever and and part of the reason they always say is that they don't know what. Windows might be doing, you know, that Windows it might in some cases is developed by a, a a hostile enemy of theirs, you know. So it makes sense that they want to use something that they know what's going on on the inside. Yeah, I mean, you know, one of the things to me is you really want to know if there's any kind of security implemented in in these systems at all. You know, are they actually using any kind of like public-private key pairs? Are they doing anything to actually try to secure information that's being passed back and forth in them? That's what I would want to know. That's actually one of the things that I liked about Sabion is, is when I was watching the, the package manager download packages, I could actually see that not only were all the packages GPG signed, but they actually also have um, SHA-128 bit keys on them as well, and there's support for all the way up to SHA-256 keys. It's one of our biggest uh, you know, mistakes, I think, that we can make as humans is to assume that everyone thinks the same way that we do, you know, and, and you know, in some cases, it, you know, causes an argument because you think one way and someone else thinks another, but you just assume they're going to think the same way as you, and this is how, you know, disagreements occur. But when it comes with this sort of, to this sort of thing, you know, I always assumed that my doctor's office would have good security. I just, it, I took that as a given that, you know, your patient data would be, you know, important and that they would you know, do the right thing. And that's what really annoys me when you read privacy agreements. Every single one of them says something like, we 
value your privacy and we're using the latest technology to protect it. There's no specifics. No one says we're using this, we're using that. And as you say, you know, they're not saying we're using this particular um, type of, uh, you know, signing. Yeah, or encryption or whatever. You know, they're not telling you how they're doing it. And I think if they don't, you know, and I've tried contacting many a company saying how, you know, how specifically are you protecting my data? And they won't give you specifics. It's, oh, well, obviously we can't tell you because that's corporate... uh, you know, that's our own corporate information and whatever. Yeah, because security by obscurity is our security policy. Yeah, yeah, well, exactly, well, exactly. Well, I can tell you, like, in some of the doctor's offices, I know this from <clears throat> some of the doctors I know that are kind of personal friends. Some of them, they're, they're actually stuck using software that's 10, 15 years old, and there's very, very specific reasons for that. But as far as what security is actually implemented in that software... They have no clue. They have no idea because it's a closed proprietary product, and they don't. You know, even the doctors do not know if there's anything implemented in them. That to me is scary. This is depressing. New topic. Kebes. <laughs> <laughs> say what? No. Oh, as as wakes up. As wakes up. No, Care he didn't what? say facial well, I'm hair. multitasking. No, I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm listening to an audio book and uh, on a. Uh, on a forum, and uh, I got all kinds of things happening. But as far as uh, you want technology gone wrong, uh, how about the guy at the a football game that had his, uh, you know, it was a high school football game, had his car broke into. They stole his GPS and his uh, garage door opener. When he gets home, he finds out that uh, they'd uh, opened his garage door, backed their van in, and uh, cleaned him out. Oh, because yeah, sure. his home was set on his GPS. Yep, and well, actually, it had the, the directions from the last place that he went from and to. Oh, you can actually play that backwards. So they just followed the GPS route back to his house. Oh, Jesus. Oh, that sucks. But you know what? That actually tells you that there is a smarter class of criminal out there now. That's actually pretty astonishing. Well, are they a smarter class of criminal, or are they just two guys who wanted to rip somebody off and happened to know how in this particular instance? I don't like that's that's some pretty low hanging fruit. If if you were like a career criminal, you sh- surely you wouldn't be running around trying to snitch people's GPSs and garage door openers. I think that you actually you have to probably plan for that because. Otherwise, what are you going to do? You're going to break in, you know, sit there breaking into car after car after car, and hope you find one that has a GPS and a garage door opener. Yeah, that's I, that's sort of what I meant. I think they actually had to basically be like canvassing, and, and they must have had this idea in mind when they started. They must have been going like through and looking at the cars and saying, "We got to find a car that's got a, a GPS and a car door opener or a garage door opener." But the thing is, too, that technology is something that everyone, you know, even even uh, the um, you know, stereotypical grandmother, you know, is aware of what a GPS is by now and, and how they work to a, to a slight degree, I would think. You think so? Yeah, U- ubiquity is, is where technology really starts to screw you. Well, but something like a football game, you find a car with a GPS uh, still hanging on the mountain window and, uh, you know, whether you get the garage door opener or not, it don't matter. The GPS is going to take you to somebody's home that's not going to be there for a couple hours because they're at the football game. Actually, how many of us have GPSs? I I have used my phone almost since I since I ever even knew what GPS was. I've had it on my phone. I've never had a standalone unit. Yeah, I've, I've never always used either. Yeah, I've always used my phone. I've never had any. 
I've never had anything like a like a Garmin or what have you. No, I also have never had one either. Although I think with, with myself, I don't know about you guys, but with myself, I find that I don't tend to adopt consumer devices because I either get there first with something of my own or, or um, I don't find a need for it. Or, or if and when I see the consumer device, I then say, oh, well, I can solve that myself in this way. Well, I think I, I, go ahead, Pegwall. I was going to say pretty much, and mostly I've found that, in all honesty, no matter where I've went in the United States, you know, having GPS on my phone plus Google Maps plus the uh, the Google navigation has worked out for me sometimes even better than a traditional GPS unit. Oh, heck yeah. Google Navigator beats the pants off of any GPS I've ever come across. Going back to uh, Crayon's comment, I think my thing is that when it comes to consumer-grade devices like GPSs and, and things like that, I just tend to maintain a very healthy skepticism about them until they've been out for five or ten years. I, you know, like I, I do have GPS on my phone, but I actually have GPS radio turned off, and I only use it when I actually need to get someplace, primarily because oh. I don't want people actually knowing where I am most of the time. I don't want oh. to be tracked. Oh, yeah, Absolutely. I never turn Same mine here. on. Yeah, mine is off all the time. But I don't, just, I just, just, if, I your phone use Google Maps. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I wouldn't use Google Maps for that reason. I've got um, uh, OpenStreetMap maps that I've got pre-rendered on my device, and so I just I do all of it offline. Oh, really? I've, I, I kind of figured that, as with everything else in this country, we wouldn't have OpenStreetMaps. No, the OpenStreetMaps are actually, from my experience, around Melbourne at least, um, in some cases they're a lot better than, than Google Maps, for example. Is there an app for that? I don't know. I, I've got an N900, and uh, yeah, I just download them to any of the mapping applications that I want to use. Actually, uh, there is an Android right. app Android for that. Android hater. Android hater. Yeah, there probably is an Android app, though. Che- uh, check F-Droid or whatever. There probably is one. There is actually an OpenStreetMap app in the uh, Android Marketplace. I searched for OpenStreetMap. I get Street View on Google Maps and Google Maps. <laughs> okay, there used to be. <laughs> uh, it's like StreetMap one word or something. So since we're being a little, um, we're talking more about uh, Android applications and stuff like that, I've kind of talked about uh, from time to time that I've been trying to get away from Google as much as I can, even though I have an Android phone. And I think I've actually now found a way to do it, and actually in like one shot. And the irony is, the way I found this came out of a a report of a problem on H Online. Um, basically, there's a I don't know if people are familiar with it. Is anybody here familiar with the Horde? The Herd? The Horde. H-O-R-D-E. I was it's, being stupid. I'm sorry. <laughs> ah, the Horde is actually a really, um, probably one of the oldest web-based groupware products out there. It's completely open source. Um, <clears throat> and they also have a, a webmail edition of of their system. And... The nice I know what you're talking that, about now. Yes, yeah, yeah I've, I've used this. I installed it on a system yeah, a few years back, actually. Yeah. Um, well, apparently, recently, it was discovered that uh, the 3.2.2 version had actually been hacked on their source code repository and a backdoor installed. So if you're actually running that version, you want to actually get the latest update to that version to remove that backdoor. Um, <clears throat> but the version 4, which is... I guess coming out or is out now 
is actually in a different repository, wasn't affected by that hack. But the thing that I found that was very interesting is they are actually developing an Android app for version 4 of Horde, which will therefore give you your email, an address book for contacts, um, a calendar, a to-do list, and a note application. And that will, basically by using that app and having Horde installed on your own server, you just now removed all your need to have anything to do with Google. Well, except the market. I yeah. the, the, the only thing on my Android phone that involves Google is navigation and the market. My email, ev- everything, my, my notes, my calendar, all of my contacts are unsynced. I, I don't use Google for anything on my phone other than those things that you either don't have a choice for or are miles and miles and miles better than the alternatives. My, my thought on that was I wouldn't mind going the unsynced route, but I want to actually be able to access a lot of that information from other locations, like from my tablet or from my laptop or from my um, desktop PC at work. So having them someplace online is better for me, but I want it to be someplace that I actually have control over and I actually do my own backups and nobody else is touching. What yeah, about- I'm... I'm I'm having that exact frustration right now. I bought myself a Galaxy Tab 7.7, and basically what I did was I just did a, a fresh, complete titanium backup of everything that was on my phone, and then restored it all to my tablet, which, which worked out well in the beginning, but now every time I add a new password to KeyPassX or something like that, it's on one device and not on the other, and it's a real pain in the backside. And you have to have some way to sync between your devices, and that, yeah, that gets to be a pain. That's something I've been running into now for years and years and years, and that was actually the draw of Google or Cloud or something like that, where, but I really want to be able to control that stuff, and I want it to be someplace where I can get to it from anywhere. What yeah, about um, What about OwnCloud or whatever? Doesn't that have um, all that sort of, all that sort of feature list? I don't think it has everything. I think it primarily at this point does like file sharing and it has some apps in it like maybe a gallery and some other things but I don't think it does like your mail and your contacts and all that stuff. But I think they're working towards that. Maybe it does do your, your, your contacts but I don't think it has everything that I wanted. But I, I was actually, I am seriously looking at that for um, having like access to my media and stuff from home. Basically having that online someplace. But I also didn't want, here's what I also didn't want to have happen is I actually want to have a server that is out someplace on the internet that has more bandwidth than what I get through my home connection. Because I, I can't, you know, <clears throat> let's face it, I'm not going to be sitting here installing server class machines to actually keep all this information online. Yeah, you you want like in, in on the fly encryption to S3 or Rackspace or something. Exactly. Um, See, I, I don't know about S3 or Rackspace, but I, I actually use like Namecheap for hosting solutions, and I use a virtual through them, and I can pretty much put whatever I want to on one of their virtuals. Of course, I could also probably find someplace else that has a cheaper, like a VPS solution where I actually get a dedicated machine. I myself, I keep my contacts synced to Google and all that because I flash a new. ICS ROM at least once every two weeks because I, I like to see you know the improvements being made at the time to all these custom ROMs and I don't want to keep having to back up and restore my contacts. Well, and that's where the solution would actually fit in, Peggy, because 
Then all you would need to do, if you actually were using Horde for your stuff, all you'd have to do is download the Horde app out of the, out of the uh, market. What device are you on, Peggy? I am on the CDMA version of the Nexus S. Ooh, nice. I'm having a real lot of trouble fighting the urge to get myself a Galaxy Nexus right now. I gotta say, of the Android phones I've had, I like it the most. Hmm. You like it that much, huh? I've actually got the uh, um, Droid Razor, and I'm, I'm liking that a whole lot. See, I've become sm- uh, absolutely spoiled with the uh, the Super AMOLED screens. Oh, I know. I went from um, the original Galaxy S to an Optimus 2X, and it's just depressing how much better the Galaxy S was. And with the with the Galaxy Tab now, the screen is just unbelievable. It's a Super AMOLED Plus, and the Optimus is... I don't even know what the Optimus is, but it's sad. I believe it's a pentile. I'm also having a real lot of trouble with the size. Like, I play with my tablet for a couple of hours, and I get used to the screen size, and then I get out my phone, and it's like, how do I use this? Why can't, why can't I see my email list with a preview underneath it on my phone? One thing I do like, I mean, I don't want to make this the, uh, the Android fanboy show. Too late. But, but I gotta say that I, I actually like Android 4.0. Crayon, this is punishment for being such a hater. <laughs> yeah, I understand. Oh my god, is he eating too now? I think he is. No, I'm not. I, I have a wire in my mouth. I'm I'm playing with my little a- AVR chip thing. That sounded like it was going to go someplace pretty inappropriate there for a second. Hey, Peggy. <laughs> I, I had to look it up, but the uh, Droid Razor does have a Super AMOLED screen as well. I'm practicing being Japanese. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, moving on now. Ooh, more stories. Let's see. Speaking of phones and Android and Android hate, there's a new Open Moco out. Yeah, this is the first I'm hearing of it. I have the original one. Well, actually, I have the free runner. So for the next five minutes, this is going to be the Peggy and Crayon show. Because <laughs> the rest of us are freedom haters. <laughs> Tell me more. I believe it's a it's a new free runner, but um, it's the GTA 04, and the board alone costs like eight hundred dollars. Oh, that's expensive. You say eight hundred dollars? Yes, yeah, says the upgrade board cost eight hundred and seventy three dollars, or six hundred and sixty six point six six euros. Ouch! <laughs> I love that. That's awesome. Slightly less excited. <laughs> Slightly less? Yeah, guess how much the whole phone itself costs. Gotta be over a grand. 784 euros or 981 US dollars. Okay. Oh, 20 bucks Just... shy. Actually, that's Actually, you know, 19. If it, like, how much are phones? The phones are like, what, 500 bucks or something? So that's only double. <laughs> My, um, if, if I bought the, uh, the Galaxy Nexus. It would be five hundred and fifty bucks from Kogan. Interestingly enough, Crayon. If you're after a phone, apparently Kogan are doing those now. Uh, that see, guy's getting see. his getting his fingers in everything, isn't he? See, uh, all I can say is yay. <laughs> <laughs> see, 
But there is good news if you pay all that money for a phone. And that news would be? It comes with a case and a battery. Oh! Whoa! Whoa. <laughs> wow, what a value. You should have led with that. Does it, does it come with a car charger and a user manual too? No, it doesn't come with any of that stuff. You don't want to actually give up the secondary market on that. Well, that's disappointing. <laughs> <laughs> is is the case pre-installed? Yes, and it, you can also tailmate with it. <laughs> <laughs> and 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 you can you can fist bump with NFC too if you want. Oh, actually, that's not um that's. Not as good a deal as the like my free runner came with two batteries and a case so they're actually you know getting worse <laughs> the extras have been slimmed down to cut costs <laughs> yes now it has less extras and it costs double oh i prefer to look on the on the bright side perhaps they're trying to imply that the battery life is so good you're only going to need the one Honestly, Perhaps think... they're also trying to imply that their direct market is ceos of fortune 500 companies well, or they're just, they're just implying that their direct market at this point is smaller and therefore need to actually raise more funds through the sales of the phones, which actually, to me, that's actually kind of an admirable goal. I mean, if they really want to succeed with an open platform, at least they're doing it by trying to put it out there and trying to spark interest in a certain range of our of our general group. Oh, shut up, support. Sandy. Now you're making us all feel bad for ragging on it. I don't feel yeah, bad. You know, hey, you know, I, I, I like to call things as I see them. I mean, it's just like that new tablet, you know. Um, I may not personally want to run Plasma on a tablet, but I will certainly support the fact that it's out there and that people are going to buy it, and I actually want to see that succeed. Dude, you're just making it worse. Okay, this may, um, be the, I was gonna say, this may be the high point of the show, I think, for some people. <laughs> <laughs> I have one more story, then Sound Chaser, we will get to you. Okay. This last one is uh, an ethical hacker was jailed for discovering Facebook vulnerabilities. I don't, I don't understand why anybody puts their name to this stuff. Like, has, hasn't anybody learned from Anonymous? Those guys are anonymous, and they're still getting arrested and thrown in jail. Wouldn't we just create a pseudonym that we only ever use through Tor or something like that and deal with it that way? Well, what this guy did... Hang on, let me find his name real quick. George Hotz? Glenn Mangum. He's t- He is 26 of Comlins... Where is that? Comlins Road, York, UK. Um, he actually got into their servers, downloaded the source code for everything that they do, and put it on an external drive and, you know, perused through it and looked for vulnerabilities. And then when he brought it up, you know, and said, hey, Facebook, uh, I found some vulnerabilities in your code and, you know, had access to your servers for a minute there. They sued him. As well they should. Oh, yeah, that's... <laughs> that's while, 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 he tried to, while he tried to do the ethical thing by actually trying to help them, he actually broke the law by actually gaining unlawful access to their servers. Still, well, see, um, where's the Facebook source code on a torrent site somewhere? Um, anybody? Links, anybody? Links? No? Links? <laughs> well, see, he also did this um, at an earlier point with Yahoo, and Yahoo you know, actually said, hey, thank you, and they paid him $7,000. Whereas Facebook sued him for like 
Uh, I think it was about $180,000. Uh, well, so I guess well, well, the, the first time around he got paid and thought, hey, this isn't a bad deal, yeah. <laughs> That's a good point. And well, while I would agree that Yahoo have kind of taken the high road there, um, Crayon also has a very good point that, you know, give an inch and they'll take a mile. But face- Facebook still kind of had the right to do that. That's that's not a great way to go about security, I wouldn't think. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I appreciate the guy for actually taking the high road and saying, you know, hey, Facebook, we hear some problems, here's some things you can fix. And... I would say look at that as his intentions were good, and that should actually play into any lawsuit because obviously he wasn't malicious about this. It sounds like he didn't pass the code on or anything like that. On the other hand, that act of gaining access to the servers without any permission to, that's just wrong. Yeah, like what are we going to do? Are we going to keep paying him over and over again to break into people's systems, steal their source code, and find a couple of vulnerabilities for them? Well, you see, there there are people who actually um, do stuff like that, but they actually have an agreement with the company first that they are allowed to go ahead and try to break in. And if he had done that, if he had taken that route, then he would have the total high road on this whole thing. Yeah, they're called penetration testers. But I'd bet you anything when Facebook runs a pen test, if Facebook ever runs a pen test that's that's not in-house, um, they don't say, hey, have free reign of any public-facing server we have. And if you manage to break into the VPN, then by all means, hack any internal servers you may come across. Yeah. See, personally, if I ran a company like that, and this guy sent me, you know, an email saying what he did and said, hey, there's some vulnerabilities and stuff you should fix. I would honestly say thank you to that guy and, you know, not sue him. I mean, I know what he did was technically illegal, but he's still doing your company a solid, really. Yeah, he is, Peggy. But by the same token, the fact that he gained access to the servers and he went undetected, what else does he have? What other information? That means now that like user information and stuff like that could actually be accessible to somebody, and he may have grabbed that, and he may have passed that on to another market, you know, to a black market of some kind, and they don't know that for certain, even though he just went back and said, hey, here's some vulnerabilities in your code that you can fix. Well, see, another thing this guy does is he runs a tax-backed security company. Oh, jeez. Wow. So this this could very well be a PR initiative on his part. I'm sorry, it's a tax-registered security company. But at the same time, you know, the guy runs a company. He knows what he's doing. And I'm, he presumably knows full well the legalities that entail. Yeah. That, now I'm totally baffled as to why he did this without making sure he had some kind of agreement with Facebook first. It sounds or, a little more like a, like a shakedown, doesn't it, really, though? On his behalf, yeah. Like, he's trying to draw up funds for his company, and he's using some fairly underhanded methods to do it. Well, there there you go. The reason he wasn't anonymous, as I suggested, is because it's great PR for his company. Anybody else? Surely anybody with a thread of common sense, if you're going to break into one of the most valuable companies on planet Earth, steal their source code, and then let them know about the vulnerabilities you found therein, you're going to be anonymous. Well, but the thing about this is, I, I would think that being brought up on charges for doing this, he could actually lose his company over it. Definitely lose any any uh, certification or you know any of the tax backing that he's got on it. Yeah, risky PR initiative. Why don't you just 
hire a marketing company somewhere and have them. I wouldn't. Would, 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 what what just, do they do? Why not just they, hire some really big, you know, tough bloke to go around and and say, oh, I think it'd be in your best interest to go with my uh, boss's company. <laughs> no, that's ever. Threaten violence, you know. It'd be some big Russian dude just knocking on your go, going, "You are to be giving me Wi-Fi password now." <laughs> are you fond of your kneecaps? Yeah. <laughs> you give your Wi-Fi open password. VPN certificate, please, sir. Or I break your knees. Your kneecaps no like bullets, yes. <laughs> so anyway though I'm not going to lie when I first read the title because it didn't mention a name my first thought and I, I'm, I'm sorry for this I consider us friends still was oh god what did Phoenix do <laughs> I guess I got lost on everybody else in the room Phoenix is an ethical hacker and he's also well he, he's actually from Scotland if you ever, if you guys ever get the chance to actually like speak with them, I suggest, I like especially uh, like over a VoIP call, you can just talk to that dude for hours. He's hilarious. He, I've heard him on some other shows, and I think he actually did some HPR shows a while ago. And everything I've heard him talk about was actually fascinating. Yeah, he's absolutely brilliant. All right, so what do you got for us, Sound Chaser? Oh, well, you know, kind of going back to the theme that we kind of had going at some points of some older things out here, I found a uh, kind of little funny story where a guy actually um, built a Sinclair ZX81 using Lego. I don't know if there anybody anybody else around here is into uh, Lego modeling at all. It seems to have kind of been a, uh, a geek trend in the past, like, five years or so, is that people seem to, like, try to recreate things using Lego and try to reproduce them faithfully. Okay, I can't, I can't do it any longer. It's just too mean. <laughs> as in crayon are like rocks, and I just like, give up. Well, as, <laughs> as, as I think has said like two words this entire podcast. Sorry, I was actually away then. Oh, in crayon was <laughs> okay, so, okay. So I'm not as pathetic as I thought I was. I'm just more of an more asshole than, than crayon. <laughs> yeah, or as. yeah no, I, just, I just was like, no, I'm walking away. That's it. <laughs> I, th- I thought we were doing the whole just stay silent so that there's really, really nasty pauses after everything Peggy and Sanjay say. You, you know, I think the thing is, uh, the silences aren't going to make that much of a difference because by the time we get done with this, we're going to pull the, uh, use the audacity filter to kill the silences, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah and definitely going to do that. And anybody listening is going to be like, well, well, what are they talking about? So anyway, I, I just thought it was kind of a fun little story that you know somebody had actually tried to recreate a ZX81 with uh, Lego, and that was like uh, the only kind of fun thing I found for this week. I think we've actually already hit my other stories with between the horde stuff and uh, my question about uh, the window manager stuff. Oh, check this out! Mozilla is going to start Mozilla and Opera. Mozilla, Microsoft, and Opera are all planning to support CSS properties which are specific to WebKit browsers because WebKit is now the dominant regi- uh, rendering engine on the web. Ooh, that's actually interesting. That's actually interesting. I, I have to say, I mean, I've actually kind of started to appreciate WebKit. I mean, we we were talking about some of the uh, alternate web browsers on APO, or it kind of got mentioned because I was asked about it. And uh, Usable 
is actually uh, a WebKit-based browser. And boy, that thing is fast. And everything I've seen, all the WebKit rendering stuff seems to be a lot faster than uh, the Zool Runner stuff overall. Gecko, yeah. I, 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 mu- I must say, it, it, it is easy to appreciate the openness of WebKit. Like, browser rendering is such such a an unbelievable minefield of complexity and and well i guess just complexity well that and, just explains why microsoft's never gotten it right <laughs> and just to have something that's open source and so easily compiled and pluginable and everything i think is a, a big testament to the open source community yeah, well, in fact, the, the the two dominant technologies between Zool Runner, aka Gecko, and WebKit are both open source technologies. I think speaks volumes about the open source community. I th- I think the web kind of has a bit of an upper hand there, though, because the web has always been so open to begin with. It's kind of it's kind of fostered openness around it. Yeah, but we saw for a while there around like Windows ninety five, and that Microsoft basically trying to come in and be a dominant course in the web browser and trying to basically take over that platform and i think apple was really trying to do the same thing as well and i think it's a testament to the open source community that we were able to actually build back up and actually get to a point where we actually kind of force keeping the web open i didn't know that enterprise db had a proprietary version of postgres that's not not cool it's not just dual licensed well it's it says um, the Enterprise DB have released Postgres Plus Advanced Server 9.1. I, I like that. Plus Advanced. That's, that's awesome. Which builds on the September 2011 release of PostgreSQL and brings features introduced to Enterprise DB's commercial edition. Uh, if it is dual license, then that's okay. But if it's proprietary, then... The question too is how far they actually um, deviate from from the open source one, um, you know, to create that. Uh, for example, you know, is it going to be is it an open core thing like um, some products, or is it just yeah a few added features? It really annoys me the open core ones when they take it way too far, and it's 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 you know they they say oh here's this product and it's fully open source. Oh, but if you want to you know be able to restart it without having to do a Rescan of the database each time that takes an hour. Then you need our special version that restarts instantly. You know, and they they deliberately inconvenience you to try and force you into buying the other one. You know, it's kind of dodgy. Then, okay, looking at the the plus the uh, press release on their website, it looks like there. Are, oh wait, maybe there's more than one. Okay, there's three major features that they've added to their their uh, enterprise okay, version. Da- downloads are available as a um, evaluation under a limited use license. Yeah, and it's only three major. It's only three features that they've added to this enterprise version. It's synchronous replication, unlogged tables, and they say improved write scalability. Now, nah, whatever. That's that's all very fluffy. I I I don't put much stock in in features like that. Oh, we improved this. Oh, yeah, it works a little bit better. Nobody's really going to notice, but it still works a little bit better. 
license restrictions. Customer agrees not to a copy or use the software in any manner except as expressly permitted by this agreement. B transfer, sell, rent, lease, distribute, or sublicense the software. C use and yeah, okay, that's proprietary. Huh, that's kind of annoying, actually. Yeah, that's poo-poo. But <laughs> MySQL's been doing that for God knows how long, and has anybody ever come across an instance of anybody using the um, proprietary version of MySQL anywhere? Well, that's one of the that's one of the way I think a lot of this stuff sort of works well is that if they're a huge company that that you know can afford to dish out some decent money. The, you know, if you say to them, oh, you can buy the, you know, MySQL Awesome Edition that has Go Faster Stripes and, you know, you get this special extra layer of support or whatever, they'll do it without batting an eyelid because, you know, if, they can, if they've got the money, they'll just be like, yeah, sure, no worries, let's do it. And then, but, you know, for you and I, we can run it free and, you know, it's, yeah, everybody wins. Well, and, but I think the difference is, okay, <clears throat> I think we have to look at the difference between... MySQL and Postgres. The thing about MySQL is that it's a... Well, I don't know if anybody's ever read this. I was actually just looking at this because somebody at work was talking to us about Postgres. Um, one of the major differences between MySQL and Postgres is that MySQL actually has multiple database engines in it. So it's not impossible to actually sell a version of MySQL that has a proprietary engine that they don't release the source code for. Which would be completely different, though, from having something like Postgres, which has actually got features that are being basically taken out of the version that they're putting out for general usage. Right. So, because MySQL is like an API with a backend, Postgres is a holistic product. So, if they start proprietarizing chunks of that, we're screwed. Whereas with MySQL, you just pick a different backend. There's different modules, basically. So the you know ten or fifteen modules that are out there now, you know basically what they call an engine for databases, will always probably stay out there because they're you know under GPL or whatever. Yeah, well, Whereas, I think that's, yeah, I think they do. I think they're even under different licenses as it is. Like I always use the um, InnoDB as opposed to the MyASAM or whatever it is, um, because it has you can do cascading um, deletions and cascading creations and all sorts of cool stuff like that. Right, right, exactly. And I think I think that I know DB is actually still GPL though, right? I I I recall something about there was some questionable stuff about the license. I think it might be slightly more restrictive or something, but um, it's still open enough for me to use it anyway. So I've been trying to switch to Postgres ever since um, uh, MySQL became the domain of Oracle just because there's such a huge conflict of interest there. I think it's just going to be a matter of time for um, Oracle to get their S-word in a pile and do something about MySQL's market dominance. Yeah, no doubt. There is actually a fork of MySQL. MariaDB. Yeah, MariaDB, yeah. I don't think... It's not MariaDB. That's not the one. Because that was actually started before... Oracle bought Sun. That was actually... I, I know what you're talking about, because that's the, the guy who started MySQL, started MariahDB as an offshoot. But there was actually yeah. another group that actually forked MySQL, and basically, the company took, like, I think 90% of the MySQL developers from Sun and started a whole new company. Ah, oh, so it was at the point of acquisition they went, right, <laughs> let's go. Uh, within about two months. Huh, interesting. 
that's what you've got to love about open source is that self-healing, self, um, you know, taking care of itself kind of thing. Oh, heck yeah. And as much as I'm not a fan of Mono, that's another great example. Yeah, I don't have much to do with that myself. Speaking of um, open source tablets, that Sharp, um, Sharp is it? Whatever it is, yeah. That's, that thing's available for pre-order, sort of. Yeah, I honestly cannot wait to... I don't want to say just buy one. I can't wait to play with one of these. Yeah, yeah. well, that's my thoughts exactly as well. Like, I don't know how useful it'll be, but I sort of I already signed up on the pre-order list anyway. <laughs> I'm a sucker for that stuff, I guess, because that's why I... Um, I, as I say, I bought the Open Moco as well, so you know, and I never used it for anything. It's still sitting on the shelf, not doing anything here. Oh, that's a shame. Well, I tried a few times. I installed a few different distros on it and things. And while it's usable and and everything else, it's not um, it's not that fast. And there's still you know bits and bits and pieces to work out. And then when I sort of got the, I saw the N900, and it's just yeah, it's a fair bit more usable. And it's got a, a keyboard as well, so a hardware keyboard. So I've been, I sort of, yeah, didn't end up doing much with the uh, OpenMoco. Okay, just jumping back for a second. Um, looks like the big fork of my sequel is called Drizzle, and they just announced date on this release. Um, looks like they announced last year, like in March, that they've got a GA release. Uh, yeah, I see that. Faux Drizzle. That's <laughs> someone had to say it, yeah. They call it a lightweight fork? What the heck does that mean? I suspect it's to, you know, if nothing else, it's to try and compete with people going uh, to SQL Lite. I don't think it's that. Uh, I think it's um, because they actually, I've kind of caught this someplace else, they went through and they actually refactored the source code of MySQL to actually create their fork. So they probably think they've probably cut a bunch of... Uh, Junk out out of the old uh, MySQL source code base, and created in creating this one. Yeah, clean out all the cobwebs. I love this. There's a story on ReadWriteWeb that I'm reading about the GA version, and <laughs> it shows you how much the world has just been tipped on its head. They're like Drizzle, a lightweight version of MySQL, release journal availability, blah blah blah. Drizzle is designed for multi-core environments and cloud applications. Unlike NoSQL databases, Drizzle still uses structured query language. <laughs> <laughs> what the hell is going on? Holy when did NoSQL become the standard? Yeah, that, that's that's my thing. I mean, I I keep hearing NoSQL is going to be the you know next big thing and. But it's actually, I mean, I guess I'm hearing that a lot of these cloud systems, like, you know, some of the stuff that Google's doing and, like, Rackspace and that, actually are based on NoSQL databases, and they actually have to use those for scalability purposes. Yeah, well, there, are some, that, um, there are some benefits to, to be had, I'm sure, but it's, it's, I think it's going to be one of those things where everyone jumps to it going, oh, this is great, and then, you know, it'll hopefully level out in the end, and everyone will go back to using whatever's suitable for what they're trying to do. Yeah, every it's, time I... Sorry. Every time I hear any kind of description of something like that, and it's just like, cloud, cloud, cloud. As soon as I hear the word, like, cloud, in that manner, my brain just shuts off and I ignore the rest. <laughs> Heck yeah. That, that's kind of like me, too. I've, I've... The, count, the concept has... of a cloud is so nebulous to me. <laughs> cloud has cloud. just become a word to describe multiple machines somewhere that host your stuff in some way. Oh, so no, I can build a cloud here. No, 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 it doesn't have to be multiple machines either. 
And it doesn't have to be somewhere else because I saw um, cloud, uh, like land cloud or something at one point too. It's like have a, cl- have a cloud in your office. So now it means a server basically. Oh, so, so now there's cloud appliances. Yeah, yeah, well, it's kind of like I, offline cloud or something, you know, off... off uh, oh, off. fantastic. Let's get us some of those, yeah. Well, I think actually what it's come down to is now a cloud is really more of a, a set of services that are provided through a server interface. And that's about as nebulous as it can get because it can be anything at that point. You could have 10,000 servers behind it or you could have one server. You could have... The APIs from ten different application suites, or one, and whatever you want to make of that is whatever you want to make of it. So, when are they going to rename FreeNAS to FreeCloud? <laughs> oh no! I have actually heard FreeNAS brought up in conversations with cloud applications like OwnCloud. I have heard people actually comparing them. Yeah, but OwnCloud itself is also a bad usage of cloud. Can we stop talking about cloud now? (laughs) (laughs) Well, how about this? This is where they get the lightweight in Drizzle. Uh, MySQL has over a million lines of code. Drizzle is under 300,000. Whoa. That's a major cut in the code That is lightweight. Yes, that is. Okay, so they didn't just—they didn't just remove a, 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 um, a the odd command here or there. There's yeah, there's some serious work being done there. Either that, or they just cut all the comments out. <laughs> it's, it's it's like oh, we just uh, we removed a few deprecated functions. Well, you know, this is what LibreOffice was going through with, with the uh, the OpenOffice org code base. They've actually cut like hundreds of thousands of lines out of that code. Actually, possibly more than that. And they've actually saved gigs of, of image space because they did things like removing duplicate icons and, and unused functions and unused methods and all sorts of garbage out of it. Yeah, nothing like a good spring cleaning. Well, in this case, it's a spring cleaning that's about, you know, five years overdue. Yeah, you know what else is overdue? Us the ending end this show. Oh, smooth, 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 smooth. Good night, Pegwall. <laughs> good night. <laughs> Good night, and I Good night, fellas. <laughs> See you later. Good night, Crayon. Good night, Crayon. Okay, I guess that's a wrap. Um, awesome. Good show. You're done Cut. when we say you are. <laughs> <laughs> good night, Asmuth. Uh, good night, boys. And uh, if we're lucky, this uh, show will never see the light of day. <laughs> and it's oh better than other shows. <laughs> as speaks. I, I tell you what, as better not get in the credits for this show. <laughs> Hey, he actually contributed a couple times through the show, so he actually does get credit. He gave us the he gave us the GPS story. By that logic, we better credit the Mumble server too. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. That's really. <laughs> oh no, 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 no we, should, need we to should come credit Crown. No, we, we should we should credit Zombie Circus because we use the Zombie Circus room to record this. Thanks, Monster oh, B. And, and I was, was going to say, we should credit Monster B with having us do this show in the first place because he refused to let us be on an episode of Zombie Circus. Wow, this is going to be some long credits for this episode. <laughs> Given the number of stories that came from the H online, we should probably credit them too. Executive hey, my... producer, my dog. Um, my, story, my story came from the register, so... All of mine came from the H. (laughs) 
I hadn't read it in two weeks, so I was just going through the RSS feed looking at all the stories I missed. Mine are from Slashdot. Oh, Slashdot. You know why I didn't pick the Slashdot feed? Because the H Online had like 40 missed stories and Slashdot had like 250, and I was just like, I can't be bothered. <laughs> all right, everybody. All right, we will see home. you on the next episode. Whenever we decide to put one out. So is this called the Dev Random Show? Is that right? Yes, this is Dev Random. As as in, like, it's it's slash dev slash random, or it's just going to be Dev Random, all one word? I was going to put it as slash dev and all that. Yeah, slash dev slash random, yeah. So the URL is going to be like, randompodcast.com slash dev slash random. That's why I'm asking. I'm busy registering domains as we speak. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> he's like I'll be damned if those people get one well I, I think this goes out HPR and then we can actually claim that it's a random show for whenever we have the time to actually record one yeah pretty much that way it can be it's totally random, random in every way including you got it it's random in who's here it's random in when we record it it's random in, in if it gets released <laughs> excellent alright go home You have been listening to Hacker Public Radio at hackerpublicradio.org. We are a community podcast network that releases shows every weekday, Monday through Friday. Today's show, like all our shows, was contributed by a HBR listener like yourself. If you ever considered recording a podcast, then visit our website to find out how easy it really is. Hacker Public Radio was founded by the Digital Dog Pound and the Infonomicon Computer Club. HBR is funded by the Binary Revolution at binref.com. All binref projects are proudly sponsored by Lunar Pages. From shared hosting to custom private clouds, go to lunarpages.com for all your hosting needs. Unless otherwise stated, today's show is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike 3.0 license.